another weekend of controversy in MotoGP, only this time it's Romano Fanati that's cancelled. Welcome to Bike Live. Yes, this is episode 77 of Bike Live here on Motorsport 101. As we look back uh, on the latest round of the MotoGP World Championship after a weekend of farce and controversy at Silverstone two weeks ago where a Grand Prix didn't happen, at least nothing controversial at all happened this time. Uh, at Mizano. Uh, we will cover all of the action from Mizano across all three classes, including that moment that has not only got motorsport, but all of sport talking um, since last Sunday in Moto2. We'll talk about all of that, all of the action surrounding Romano Fanati's moments of madness with Stefano Manzi and what it means for him and the rest of his career, if indeed he has one. Uh, we'll also talk about the MotoGP race that happened, which kind of felt like after the Lord Mayor's show, given what we saw in Moto2. Uh, but Andrea Davizioso dominated for Ducati, while Marc Marquez took another step towards the world title. Uh, we'll also talk about the Moto3 race, um, as a bloke called Dallaporta ensured that at least one man named Lorenzo left Mazzano happy. Um, and we will also bring you the Moto E calendar um, for next season. For those of you that are wondering, by the way, before we go any further, where our review of the British Superbikes from Silverstone is, that will follow in our next episode of Bike Live episode 78, which will be following uh, probably around tomorrow as you're listening to this. That will include another brilliant sit-down catch-up uh, with the voice of World Superbikes, Greg Haynes, as he brings us up to speed on everything that's happened in the series since we last spoke to him and looks ahead to the return of the series this week weekend and that podcast as i mentioned will also break down all the action from the uh silverstone round of the bsb championship as the showdown six were confirmed and we'll look ahead to the start of the showdown this weekend that is in episode 78 which will be released tomorrow um but joining me for this week's uh, first of two podcasts um at the uh rather unusual time for a podcast recording of 11 30 p.m um on wednesday september the 12th it's andre harrison welcome dre what do you do to me, Lewis? What, what did I do to deserve this this late night recording? <laughs> yeah. we, we just uh, an insight into this, listeners. We felt rather unlucky with our schedules for this week. Usually, we, we could pretty much guarantee over the course of a seven day period that me and Dre will at least have the same evening free at least once. This week, yes, none at all. Um, I think this is. The- this is, I think this is the genuinely the first time since we've, since we've had the show on Motorsport 1 that we've had both Thursday and Friday locked out. Yeah, um, we, were, we were so we were forced into recording it at 11.30 on a Wednesday night. Um, of course. But we are committed to uh, to getting a show out to you each and every week. As mentioned, you get two this week, or technically three. Uh, more on that in a second. Um, but first of all, the places you can find us. Uh, Facebook.com forward slash Motorsport 101. On Twitter, we are at Motorsport underscore 101. Um, so do follow us on there. Our YouTube channel, youtube.com forward slash motorsport101. Um, quick shout out while we're at it, um, especially given that the uh, the head of this YouTube channel is listening at the moment on our Discord server. Check out youtube.com forward slash armbar arcade for a special cameo from uh, one half of the uh, current podcasting presenters uh, that you're listening to mm. at the moment uh, as Dre makes his return to Formula One career modes. Um, we can also, you can also find us on our website, motorsport101.com. 
Um, and if you like us so much that you want to back us financially and you also have early access um, to both of our weekly shows, uh, patreon.com forward slash motorsport101. Uh, $5 backing gets you early access to the podcast. $10 backing earns you access to our Discord server and the chance to listen in live, as several of you are doing right now. So um, uh, a good evening. By the time we finish this, it'll be good morning uh, to yeah. AJ, to Cam, and to Steve, who are all listening in um, right now. Um by backing us on Patreon, they will have probably already listened um, to the latest episode of Motorsport 101 and the latest episode of Bike Live, which uh, we just uploaded before we started recording this. Uh, blame SoundCloud for that. Um, but episode 160 um, of Motorsport 101, which unfortunately, due to um, a mixture of technical issues and work uh, conflicts, Dre was unable to make this week. Um, <laughs> but Dre, I'm... Um, even as difficult as it is, given that you weren't on it, uh, tell us about episode 160. Uh, you were kind of let off the hook by Ferrari, rather helpfully timing their announcement of their 2019 driver lineup. Yeah, exactly. We were meant to record it on Monday night, and uh, basically both of us suffered power cut. Like, I, I, for <laughs> once, I've had a, I've had a history of having power cuts, right? Mm. Like, I've had two in the in my history of Motorsport 101 recordings and whatnot, right? And like, this was the first time that RJ and King both had a power cut at the same time yeah. um the timing of it was off we had to wait until i think it was about half 10 at night before king got his power back and by that point they didn't want to keep me up past midnight to record an episode <clears throat> um yeah, but, who uh, like that? i know right what a terrible thing what a terrible idea um but uh yeah we thought hey we're better off recording tomorrow instead um and yeah that's basically what happened and you ended up recording on tuesday night unfortunately i was at work that night so i couldn't be on it but somebody else was um mm. um an old friend of ours um i heard the kraken was back yeah, i, I, don't, I don't know for sure but don't call it a comeback but uh uh yeah apparently a, a former host of this show may have filled in in my absence um during episode 160 it might be worth listening in to find out who that person yeah we'll let was. you find out for yourselves um yes. episode 160 of motorsport 101 uh, by the time you're listening to this um unless you're listening in live on patreon by which case it isn't um dude by the time you're listening to this on the podcast episode 160 will be live so um do mm-hmm. head to soundcloud and check that out right then uh, for the first of two uh, bike lives this week, let's get cracking and let's head to Bizarro. And uh, you know something rather dramatic or rather crazy has happened when we're starting with Moto2. Um, huh? but, but that is indeed where we're starting. Um, it's usually the sort of the the lull, the calm before the storm and the calm after the storm of Moto3 in that, in that sense as well. Uh, Moto2 doesn't always produce the, the greatest of racing, although this season has on the whole been quite good. Um, in Moto2, and we're still having a very, very good championship battle. More on that in a second. Uh, that kind of got overshadowed too. Um, but uh, an incident which, as I mentioned, Dre, it's not just got motorsport and motorcycle racing talking, but this has made national news Yeah. in the UK. It's made national news all over the world. Um, to set the scene, Romano Fonati and Stefano Manzi have been battling on track. Manzi had clearly annoyed Fanati with a manoeuvre on track moments earlier, and it was a manoeuvre a manoeuvre which clearly was out of order because race direction handed him a sixth place grid penalty for Aragon because of it. Mm. Um, however, Romano Fanati responded to this by pulling up alongside him on the back straight between his turns seven and eight, turn eight being quiet share, the left hander at the end of the back straight, leans over or reaches over and I still can't believe I'm saying this as if it actually happened. Grabbed 
and pulled on Stefano Manzi's brake lever. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, Stefano Manzi, to his credit, kept control of his bike. We don't even think of what would have happened had he not. Um, but, I mean, first of all, I mean, I, I struggled to put into words what I thought when I saw it live. I mean, I, I was on my lunch break at work on Sunday, so I wasn't watching this live. And usually, because MotoGP isn't necessarily um, a mainstream sport all of the time, um, no. you can usually go onto Facebook. And obviously, I was going on my lunch break before the MotoGP race had even started. So I thought, I'll be able to go on Facebook and not be spoiled anything that's happened here. Yet, already by that point, everybody was sharing the clip of what Romano Ferrati had done. It was already going viral by that stage. Um, and I couldn't believe what I was watching. My instant reaction was just to tweet, Romano Ferrati, you are an utter disgrace. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, we'll, we'll get into it in a moment with a bit more consideration what we think of it. But at the time, what was your reaction? I was in shock. Um, I've been watching bike racing for about 17, 18 years. I have never and I truly say have never seen anything quite like that. I was in I was in pure and utter shock. It was I, I didn't know how I felt. I felt angry, I felt confused, I felt like just baffled. Just to, like 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 Keith Hewan, like like his reaction to seeing the replay like, He had to try so people. hard not to swear on air. Right, like he was like you, like Romano Fotti was such a extended pause. What's it? Yeah, like bless him because I, I don't blame him if if, if an f bomb had dropped. Yeah, that is always the word my mother uses when she struggles to think of a word to use. She always says, "What's it?" So uh, yeah, yeah, I, I sympathise with him on that one. And mm. it, it was, it was just uh, as 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 Cam say in the in the in the live chat, he utter disbelief. It was, it was like, did we really just see a guy do that um, right. on air? And 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 it's. It, 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 it was, it was utter disbelief. AJ says if that happened in the movie, you'd say it was an utter unbelievable drivel worthy of driven the movie. Yeah, it was... It was, it was, it was something out of Hollywood. It was, yeah, it was, it was, it was just... A villain it was just, a Hollywood movie. It was crazy. And um, Romano Fanati, he he claims, and he, and he said this since, um, that he had obviously been duffed up on track himself by Stefano Manzi. Um... And but, he was, no one's denying which that. Which he was, no one's denying that. Race Direction aren't denying that. They've put his manzi, they've docked him six grid spots for, for Aragon. But Romano Fanati just doesn't seem to realise, and we'll get into his general charge sheet through his career shortly, but Romano Fanati just hasn't been able to grasp the fact that you can't take matters, you can't take the law into your own hands like that. Right. He He's not a vigilante. He is not Batman. He, he is not above the law. And that you cannot do that you put another man's life at risk there is no exaggeration in anything i've just said there he could have killed manzi on that incident that was him applying 20 bars of pressure on a moto 2 bike at 140 miles an hour um in real time um manzi could have gone over the handlebars Easily, like you could see the front wheel bobble as as he squeezes the brake lever, and you see it in slow motion. It it could have been utterly terrifying. It, like, it was like Manzi did an incredible job of being able to control his bike because that could have been utterly disastrous. Manzi could have died. I'm not even exaggerating this when I said that he could have. If he flips over the front of the handlebars, there he could be dead man walking. And I'm not even exaggerating. I say that either. It it could have been a 
utter disaster. And luckily, Manzi was able to walk away from this okay. Um, pride damaged more than anything else. But um, obviously, Fanati was 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 black flagged on the spot for by race direction for seeing that incident happen in real time. And yeah, it 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 could have been it could have been curtains. Um and it was a horrific thing to do it's the worst thing i've ever seen somebody put on a motorcycle ever it's it's it it, it crosses the line from you know from one of those racing incidents where you can blame somebody but you always have a, the level of doubts about intention like, exactly that's what i would say it's the intent of it yeah, it, like, you look at something like Sepang 2015. Yeah, like, like my head would tend to think, yeah, Rossi probably did do something like that on purpose. But you can't ever say it. I mean, look, if that was in a court of law, you would say Fanati did that on purpose beyond a reasonable doubt. Like yeah. any other, there is no reason to lean over and touch other man's motorcycle. Exactly. Like that is the first real biking incident I can remember where someone has as as actively deliberately tried to crash somebody out like that like there is absolutely zero reasonable doubt as Cam points out on the discord that that wasn't deliberate it absolutely was and he was and again he's been banged to rights punished for it it is shocking that a rider would ever cross that line now that is such an incredible breach of trust that i'm not sure i'd ever be comfortable seeing him on a racetrack again and it's utterly disgraceful. It is the most horrific thing I've ever seen, maybe in all of motorsport, in terms of just seeing someone intentionally try to hurt another rider like that. That is disgusting behavior. And I and I, I sincerely hope I never see anything like it again from anyone because, my God, that was horrendous. Horrendous. Mm, it was. Um, now, now, as mentioned earlier on in the, in the show, um, Greg Haynes, the voice of... World Superbikes for Eurosport and the face of British Superbikes recently for British Superbikes on ITV4 um, joins us for episode 78 as we uh, look back on the World Superbike season so far and look ahead to the BSB showdown. Um, but while we spoke to him, he was also um, very keen to give us his take uh, on the Romano Fanati controversy from Mizano. Here's, uh, here's what Greg had to say to us. Have a listen. In my opinion, you never want to be too hard on anyone, but there is absolutely 100% categorically no excuse whatsoever for what happened there at Mizano on Sunday. It doesn't really get any worse than that, does it? I've never seen anything quite like that before. An action with intent to lean across, make the conscious decision in your mind to lean across and apply the front brake of the rider next to you. Now, can you just imagine Stefano Manzi had gone flying over the front of it? He could have suffered serious injury. It could have been fatal. I know it's not nice to say, but that's what could have happened. The latest news now is that the Italian Federation has actually removed Fanati's licence. He's lost his ride for next year with MB Augusta. I've also heard, apparently, the two of them were planned to be teammates for next year, which thickens the plot even more. Apparently, there was real uh, niggle already between the two of them from their days in the past when they were racing up through the ranks in the junior championship. Apparently, the two families don't really like each other. So it's quite clear there's a lot that's gone on there behind the scenes it sounds like it's a bit of a montague and capulet situation like romeo and juliet but whatever it doesn't matter there is absolutely no excuse for that outrageous behavior we saw there it just does not get any worse than that you can't take someone down in that way it could have been extremely dangerous it was extremely dangerous they were both very lucky they didn't come off the bikes there and to be honest i think he's got off lightly with a two race ban 
And I, can you think of any action that's actually worse than that, apart from, you know, deliberately riding into someone, which you're never going to do because you could hurt yourself. That was just unbelievable. I couldn't quite believe it. And whether he comes back, I don't know. Even if he's allowed back by the organisers, is anyone going to want to employ him now because of his value? I mean, it's made Sky News in the UK. It's made national newspapers in the UK, which is disappointing in some ways that the negative news makes the papers a more positive news doesn't. We see that in Formula One as well all too often. But anyway, it was an outrageous manoeuvre. You're not surprised it's made all the news everywhere. Would anyone? Would you want him in your team now? That's the problem. So, yeah, he really hasn't helped himself. It's not good for the sport. And just one more thing I'll add to this. Sorry to be ranting about this, but I think another element we have to think about here is I think this is a problem we see far too often in the junior classes of the MotoGP World Championship, Moto2 and Moto3 in particular. Don't get me wrong, they are fantastic, fantastic classes. And the way the system works, promoting riders up through the order, is brilliant. It's much better than they've managed to do in car racing. It works perfectly. However, I think a lot of those riders are treated as superstars from a very young age, particularly people going through the Valentino Rossi VR46 Academy. And they seem to think they've got this this right to do whatever they want and say whatever they want and that they're superstars. And then they're not really, they're not superstars. He's not a rider who's achieved a, a massive amount. And even if he was, there's no excuse. We've lost a lot of respect, I think, in racing over the last few years. Look at the Rossi Marker stuff that's gone on. Mm. It's, it's worrying. It's worrying. It's something Freddie Spencer was saying to me earlier in the year as well. Where is the respect gone? Because motorcycle racing is just as dangerous now, really, than it always has been. Because you can make the circuits as safe as you can. You can put massive runoff areas in place. But you're never going to remove that danger of if a rider is stranded in the middle of a racetrack, he could be hit by someone else's bike or by his own bike. So when you've got someone doing that and grabbing on a front brake lever, there is no... I can't think of a penalty that would be strong enough, really. I know that sounds very harsh, but it doesn't really get much worse. So... I think they really have got to clamp down on it because if they don't, it sets a pretty dangerous precedent. And, you know, riders, even from club level, when they're racing, whichever country they're in, I think there's even more respect in classes like the Ducati Tri-Options Cup right now in BSB. And that's, I'm not slagging off the Ducati Tri-Options Cup, but what I mean is from the club level and then if up into those championships alongside national championships, the riders respect each other. Yeah. They race hard. They bump into each other from time to time. There's a bit of contact made, but it's not intentional. And they do respect each other because they know it's a very dangerous game. And I think the riders often coming up through the ranks in those junior world championships and they're into these academies. They're mixing with Rossi and celebrities like that, other riders. They're on the TV and good luck to them. They deserve the success. But I think sometimes it, it goes to their, to their head and they sort of uh, think they can do anything and they can't. So I think that really needs to be drilled into people to stop incidents like this taking place. <laughs> so that was Greg uh, joining us uh, earlier this week, and you can hear more from him in the next episode of Bike Live, uh, which will be out tomorrow. Um, now, Romano Fanati, as Dre mentioned, was given a black flag on the spot, disqualified instantly. And um, as, as I mentioned to Greg in, in, in that little piece, it was kind of good that MotoGP is what it is in terms of the, the sheer... TV coverage that it devotes to all of its classes because there are many championships where something like that would have taken place and no one would have seen it. Um, no TV cameras would have picked it up. No super right. slow-mos, no race direction. Be a, but, yeah, 
yeah. it'll it, be the kind of clip you'd see drop on Reddit like three days later. Yeah, it would have it would have probably gone unpunished. Um, you would have simply have been relying on Stefano Manzi's word for it. Um, but Romano Fanati was caught red-handed, given a uh, black flag, uh, disqualified, thrown out of the race. He was later also given a two-race suspension, um, which was later be rendered academic. Um, but but sticking with that for a moment, Dre, I mean, race direction and MotoGP as a sport had to be seen to do something. Um, right. And the FIM have also come out since then and said that they're going to summon uh, Romano Fanati to their headquarters where more serious sanctions may be handed out. Um, but at the time, I mean, whatever sanction Romano Fanati got, I, I always thought, I, I, I would have sent him, sent him home for the rest of the year, personally. That would have been the punishment I would have handed down. Um, but I don't think I can sit here genuinely and say that any punishment he'd been given, he could complain with. What about you? No, I mean, I'm, I'm, I, we, me and you were very similarly wired when it things, and I completely agree. I, I, I my, the, my first thought that came into my head was sit him home for the rest of the year. Um, I mean, there's what six races to go, yeah. a six race ban. I think that in a vacuum would sound about right yeah, to it's me. A, it's a six I mean, month ban as well. Yeah, essentially, um, and yeah, I mean, that's the thing. This is unprecedented. So, you, like, it's 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 always going to be a hard decision for race direction because they've never had to go this far for such a landmark incident. For lack well, it's of interesting because I think you brought an incident up on on social media on Sunday that the only thing hmm. we can really maybe compare it to. I know I know some would liken it to Rossi Marquez at Sepang, given that Rossi looked over, but. I think the closest incident I could think of was the incident with Carol Haneker at Jerez. Um, when he, I think it was Juan Francavara that he that he sideswiped after a race. And what, what did he get? I mean, it was it was penalty points back then, wasn't it? Well, essentially, he got was, a one race ban. It was a no. It, that, it wasn't even that. It was five penalty points, and hence because he yeah, he, which contributed he, to the ban. But back at a back at a grid start for the following race, basically, it was not a race ban. You needed ten penalty points for a race ban in under the old system. Haneker got five taking a guy out after the flag and breaking his arm um and i saw Guevara took the twitter earlier this week to have a lengthy rant in spanish about that and saying how incomparable the two incidents were and like dare i say almost defending carol hannigan in, in a vacuum it was kind of weird once you translate it but yeah like that's the only real comparison we have here and even then i think the stewards are actually kind of generous towards carol hannigan on that one um, given that he, he deliberately tried to hurt someone after a checkered flag, which is an awful thing to do um, without any measure. Um, but as I said, this was never going to be an easy decision for race direction because there's no precedent for it. You've now got to make an example of Fanati and throw the book at them, but the question they're going to be asking is how much? Mm. Um, because we've never seen anything like this before, not really on this sort of level. Um, so where do you set the line here, and how and when, how far do you go to make sure it doesn't ever happen again? And I, I thought at the time, I thought two races was a, actually I thought a little bit light um, on Fanati. As I was thinking, rest of the season, I was thinking, you know what, tell him to sit his ass at home for the rest of the year and force snipers to come up with a replacement because two races wasn't enough for me. Um, I, I don't like he, spanning him for two races and then having him back for the flyaway rounds. It wouldn't have felt like a true punishment, in my opinion. For not, he's not a title contender. It, like he's, he's he's not in the he's not an Oliveira or a Banyaya who's fighting for this title where two races is really going to hurt him. Um, no, um, again, as proven in a minute, that turns out to be academic anyway. Um, but 
yeah, like I, I don't envy race direction on that one because they've got nothing to go by here. Mm. Like, there's no rule book for how do you punish a guy who squeezes another man's brake lever. Um, there's no easy decision you can make on something like that. You're like, because there's no precedent, there's no context. You kind of have to pluck one out of thin air and hope for the best. Um, so it's never straightforward on things like that. But uh, I, I did think two races in a vacuum was light. Um, mm. again, and I, I, I always try. It, it's anything anytime someone messes up and, and, and i think it was um i'm trying to think who it was now who, who was saying this on social media earlier this week uh, it was charlie hiscott um of, of eurosport and bt spot it was it was trying to you know, he wasn't trying to defend romano fanati because you can't defend the indefensible um no. but he was trying to be understanding and i always try to like that. i always try to be understanding of, of someone's situation and i i always try not to go down the route of because you see it so often, don't we, Dre? It's a very tabloid thing to do, where anytime something that would resemble a scandal happens, um, right. instantly there is call for that person to be sacked, um, whatever their job is, even if that is not necessarily the right punishment for the crime being committed, um, or there is talk for them to never do their job or compete in their sport again. We often hear that kind of sensationalist reaction of, oh, they should not be allowed to do so-and-so again. Um, yeah. And I, and I try to steer clear of that because I try to have the mindset of, well, mm. we're all human beings. We all make mistakes. We all mess up. Um, and we should all be given the opportunity to rehabilitate ourselves and to try and um, make amends for what we've done. Now, I think in this kind of instance, because the potential ramifications were so grave for what went wrong, I'm struggling even myself to decide whether Romano Fernati deserves that opportunity. Um, to to rehabilitate himself within the sport and and again as we'll come on to in a minute he may not get that chance anyway um, but even if Romano Fanati does arrive at a point where he could potentially race again surely Dre before he does so this is a rider who has some serious psychological hurdles to overcome and questions to answer because when we look at the charge sheet of Romano Fanati. This is a rider who back in 20... Help me out with the year. 2015 or 16 it was. I think it was 16. When he was with with Skyview 46. But you have the famous incident at Argentina, Tomas Rio Hondo, where he fell out with Nicky Ayo in the morning warm-up. He then aimed a kick at Ayo's bike, um, which got Mm -hmm. him sent to the back of the grid. And he then, while they were sitting on the practice start area, waiting to set off for a practice start, he leaned over, touched Nicky Ayo's bike, and switched it off. Um, which in a vacuum is actually kind of funny, um, but in, yeah. in actuality, it's not funny at all because um, Nicky Ayo was sat there, unable to, take, to set off, and another bike could have come through and hit him. Um, mm. Now Very that now that incident, given that it was at the end of a session, you could argue that wasn't particularly dangerous. This one most certainly is. Um, he was also kicked out of the Sky VR46 team later that year for a fallout with the team in Austria. Um, uh, and I, I often, I've often said since then, when you're being kicked out of the VR46 team by Valentino Rossi for a bad attitude, you know you have problems. Right. Um, but, <laughs> but the point is, the the charge sheet is getting longer and longer, and Romano Fanati doesn't seem to be learning. But there are clear, there's clear evidence, Dre, from all of this that this is a guy who clearly is a magnificent talent. Clearly, he's a maverick. But clearly, when there's a switch in his head, isn't there? When when that switch gets flipped and the red mist comes down, this guy has some serious psychological issues, doesn't he? I mean, where do I even start on a this A temper one? that I he would... just can't control. Yeah. 
bear with me here, folks. This is a lot to get through, but I will do my very best here because I'm, I'm not normally this serious. I'm normally the light-hearted one when it comes to these shows. But <sighs> this is this is okay. I'm gonna I'm gonna deep dive as best I can here. Romano Fanati is is a very very good bike rider. No arguments there. A perennial Moto Three title contender, multiple Grand Prix winner um in moto three he he hit moto two out of the box he, it's clear he has a lot of talent there is no argument with that he's an he's a he's a a good solid bike rider who was you know made a name for himself over the years not just off the track but on it as well to say he's not a good rider would be doing him an injustice he is a great talent no arguments there he also clearly has an anger management problem and i don't normally like bringing that up um, or throwing these sorts of accusations towards people when it comes to mental health. But at the same time, the charge sheet is extensive and it looks like a man who has problems containing his emotions on, on a motorcycle. And that is not... Because just to, just, to, just to interject for one second, mm-hmm. that's clearly what we saw on Sunday. And again, this is not in any attempt to justify or defend what he did. No. But that is clearly that was clearly not an incidence of... That wasn't premeditation. That wasn't something he'd been thinking of all race, where he thought, I'm going to go out there and do Stefano Manzi. That was clearly an incident that he'd been thinking of for, what, all of five seconds? That was a split-second decision of, I'm going to do this to Stefano Manzi to prove a point. And yeah. it's the point kind of point you shouldn't be going out on a racetrack and proving. As, as AJ said, he lashed out. He lashed um, out. And yeah. it's clear that he has a problem where... He needs, to, he needs to get seek some sort of help to stop him from lashing out, because when you lash out... On 130 mile an hour motorcycles, bad things happen. Exactly, and like to the to the point when you're endangering another person's life on a motorcycle via sheer rage and anger, you cannot be trusted. It's as simple as that. Because you're not only putting your life at risk, you're putting somebody else's life at risk. And this sport is dangerous enough as it is. This was, and again, Lewis doesn't even mention this. This was. Arguably the biggest story to come out of MotoGP's paddock since Sepang 2015. It's it was picked up on BBC Breakfast News. Mm. It was picked up in national newspapers on a it weekend when a British rider right, on, on a weekend when a British rider made the podium in the MotoGP class. Let's not forget. Carl right. Car on the podium, not a sausage. Um, Romano Fanati killing a track. Front page news in terms of sport, and that's very rare that this happens in MotoGP because this country does not take MotoGP press coverage seriously. It just doesn't, for better or worse, and that's a discussion in itself. Let's not forget, we are still talking about a 22-year-old man here. We're talking about a 22-year-old guy and an immense talent, but has an anger problem. Um, he lashed out on, on, on Nicky Ayo when, in, when in the middle of an argument bike during that practice session in Argentina two years ago. He lashed out here against Manzi when all he had to do was keep his keep his head on and you probably would have come out of that situation the better guy because Manzi did hit him intentionally before that incident happened and Manzi was rightly punished for a sixth place grid penalty for it. Fanati comes out of that situation better if he doesn't retaliate and that's the worst thing you can do on a track. The last thing you want to do is retaliate and that's exactly what he did because now he hasn't got a leg to stand on even though he was in the right before he did that that's what makes it even more baffling Mm. and 
it's it, it's a real shame, and it, it it could very well be the end of an inc- of, of a very talented Black Rider's career at just twenty two years of age, and that is a real shame because, as mentioned, Romano Fanati is a very very talented, um, very talented Black Rider who has had success on the Grand Prix ladder and was generally, despite the issues, rated quite highly and got good opportunities in his Moto3 career and Moto2 career to, to advance himself. Again, getting kicked out of the VR46 Academy when you were one of its brightest talents takes some doing. Um, you know, lashing out and getting into an alleged fit, fit, fist fight with the Academy guys who have done a brilliant job of pushing talent to the point where they're going to have two of them in MotoGP next year most likely um definitely with vanilla coming up as well next year but it's 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 mind-boggling just how you know the the length of this the the breadth of this story but on top of that like charlie hiscott i think hit the nail on the head and i want to give to zara daniela on twitter a good friend of ours as well that mentioned a very similar point after the race weekend it's very easy to beat this man down for what he did and I get it. It's it's the nature. It's the nature of social media. It's the instant gratification that comes with social media. That comes with, you know, the nature of like you you want hot takes and you want fast thoughts on stuff that probably needs longer term opinions, longer term context. You know what, Lewis? I don't know if you know this, right? I had four people message me on Facebook either about. The fact that one of my tweets was in the BT Sport video about the incident mm. and the fact that like it had gone to places like the Metro front page. Like, it was on it was on the Metro newspaper talking about this incident and it went viral on Facebook and people were tagging me in it like, Dre, what happened? And Because like, they know I'm a bike fan. So then yeah. I was able to add context to the situation as to what had happened. And I was like, oh my God, what's going on here? Um, it, it sucks that, Mo, that, that Moto2 and MotoGP, in a sense, is front page news for all the wrong reasons yet again. But it it's it it doesn't make it any less shocking. And I again, as Charlie and Zara and others have pointed out, I do sincerely hope the man gets the help he needs because he's still a very talented young man who, who knows, may get a second chance down the road somewhere. I mean, he's going to have to lick his wounds and, and, and take the pain of probably not being on a bike for at least a year and a half. And that's probably the best for Romano at this point, given his state and, and what he's done. And again, we are in no way justifying his behavior. But let's not forget, this is probably a young man who needs help and probably needs the right support to further himself, not just as a bike rider, but as a human being. Mm. And, and I think I think we're allowed to we're old. allowed to criticize a guy and rightly call him out for doing something absolutely appalling but also i think we're allowed to feel sorry for him as well um in in what he's and understand what he's going through and charlie hiscott just to just to um explain um said that he felt sorry for my you know all young people make mistakes um david emmett agreed and said he was a walking disaster zone until he got into his 30s um, and, and it is a good point worth making that he is still only in his early 20s. He's still a young man. I mean, he's younger than both of Dre and I. Let's put it that way. He's 22. Um, he's 22. Charlie Hiscott went on to say, I'm not saying he isn't an idiot and he's definitely going to get what he deserves, but he's a young man with a massive amount of pressure and he fucked up. Lots of people do that, especially young racers. It's not tennis. Um, now, as I mentioned, he's been banned for the next two races. Many people felt he should have been banned for longer, but as mentioned... A lot of other teams in the sport may well take care of that anyway. Uh, mm-hmm. His contract with the rest with the, his current team 
um, has been ripped up. Um, no, it wasn't just you listeners that spotted the irony in a team called Marinelli Snipers firing their rider. Um, but, um, but also, one thing that struck me when I was watching at the time, when he was leaning over and trying to pull the brakes on the forward racing bike, I straight away I thought to myself, isn't he joining that team next year? I mean, well, not anymore. Not, not anymore. anymore. <laughs> uh, but at the time, he was signed to join the MV Augusta, let's not forget, uh, forward mm-hmm. racing team. MV Augusta returning to the championship next year in Moto2 uh, in collaboration with Ford. And Giovanni Castiglioni, who is the president of MV Augusta, said in a press release on Sunday night, in all my years of watching sport, I have never seen behavior as dangerous as this. A rider who can act like this can never represent the values of our company and our brand. For this reason, we do not want him to be the rider with which MV Augusta makes his return to the World Championship. Giovanni Cesari, who is the team owner of Forward, um, said after the disgraceful episode, it is impossible for the team to maintain its planned collaboration with the rider from Ascoli, referring to Fanati, for the 2019 season. Fanati's behaviour is incompatible with the sporting values of the Ford racing team and MV Augusta. We, uh, our sport is already extremely dangerous and any act which increases the risks involved for the riders is intolerable. We cannot accept behaviour of this type from one of our future riders. And, I mean, he's had his licence taken by the Italian Federation as well, so he's got to, um, you know, do some serious um, grovelling, I suppose, and prove some points to a lot of people to get that back. Um, first of all, Dre, do you believe Fanati given that this isn't his first offence, let's not forget, has any right to another opportunity. Um, but equally, even if he does have the right to an opportunity, do you see any situation in the future where any team will be prepared to take the risk on him? Yeah, I know I know. a lot of people were throwing the term lifetime ban around in the, in the immediate aftermath of this incident. And I am I'm with good friend of the show, Kevin Walsh, who I know is listening. Hey, Kev who agreed with me saying that, you know what, lifetime bans are problematic um, because do you really want to end somebody's career? Does one person have, should one person have enough power to, to end somebody's career like that and to basically change their life or change their livelihood by saying, you know what, you're banned from this competition for life. Um, that is always tricky for me it's always problematic to go that far to say you know what yeah you can never ride again um it's something that i'm I'm a massive track and field fan and this does come up a lot in where you know set normally under normal circumstances in in track and field for those guys that don't know the first time you get a drug ban it's two years the second time it's a lifetime ban um there was controversy of that a few years ago when Dwayne chambers failed the drug test he only got a two-year ban but then was banned from the olympics and that was a british rule not a world ride rule and there was a lot of debate whether chambers should run because he was still brings number one at the time it gets it gets finicky and like i i tend to lean towards the side of the fence where people probably do deserve a second chance because as mentioned people screw up they do it a lot um with human beings it's kind of it's kind of in our wavelength to do that it's just the nature of the beast. I do think, though, I think he, I agree with you with every word you said there, but I think he is now in a position, isn't he, Rana Fanati, where for him to earn that right to get that next chance, he's got to prove a lot to a lot of people. Yeah, as I was going to say there, however, this is a different ball game. This is, like, this is, again, as Charlie said, this isn't tennis. Like, it's not a Sharapova where you can come back after you've served your penalty. This goes 
much deeper than that with Fnatic. This is a sport that is already ridiculously dangerous, a sport that in MotoGP alone has had four fatalities in the last decade, and we're talking about a guy who deliberately tried to squeeze another dude's brake pedal. Now, you, as, as mentioned, you have not only put your own life at risk by putting your hands off the handlebar to do something like that at 140 miles an hour, but you've also risked the life of a competitor in the process. No doubt about that. Like, at that point, if you're a racing team, can you trust that guy? Knowing he's got that, he's got that in him when he snaps? And I think there's a further point to that as well. And um, I, I think back to, and this, this situation doesn't quite, um, it's not quite comparable, but football fans will remember the story of Chet Evans, um, who oh, yeah. um, was who famously went to went to prison. Now, this is, again, this isn't quite, the two offences aren't comparable. We're talking about rape no. here in the case of Chet Evans um, and yeah. the legal uh, loopholes and the legal issues that he and, uh, went through. But mm-hmm. remember when he came out of, of prison initially and every time he was linked with joining a football team, that football team was instantly threatened by its own sponsors that they were going to disassociate themselves with that team if they signed that guy. And I, yeah, I kind of feel it's... that we're in a position now with Romano Fanati where if any team, whether it's next year or the year after, suggests or gives any impression that they're going to sign Romano Fanati, you can just imagine that team's sponsors are going to be on the phone to the team boss saying, we don't want to be associated with this guy. Yeah, this guy's poison. Don't hire him. Uh, like, it's, like, to put it into context, when... Ched came out of prison for, and you know, he did, he did his, he did his two years in in prison for, for rape. He came out, he was offered the trial with Sheffield United, and like immediately, one of their key ambassadors, or I believe was a presenter for Sky Sports at the time, immediately withdrew. And one of the people who owned a, who had a stand named after her was was like one of the most the famous athletes in the country, Jessica Ennis Hill. Um, like again, who you know, multiple Olympic and world. Head- and champion um who has one of the stands in sheffield united stadium named after her was like take my name off the stand if you give this dude a contract and sheffield united caved in and didn't sign him in the end and like it's the same ball game here like do you want to hire a guy that nearly killed another dude on a motorcycle by intentionally squeezing his brake I don't think you yeah. want those and problems. It, and if it's you're a, and if you're a company of any hiring. distinction, do you want your logo on a bike that he is riding? Yeah, it, like the damage like, you could potentially have. Like, if that happens on social media, for example, let's pluck a team out of thin air. A Taltrans, for example, in Moto2. It's like, you know what? It's two years later. Romano, We think Romano's worth a chance. We're going to bring him back and see what he can do. Do you think a Taltrans is going to want their name on that bike? There's going to be uh, there's going to be pressure from f- like like social media would trash that move. Like it is, like the same fans that are calling for lifetime bans are not going to want Fanati back on a bike ever again. Mm. And, and there are also there are also going that. to be riders in whichever class he returns to if he does one day. You've got to think there are going to there are going to be riders who will feel so strongly about this that they're going to be sat there thinking I don't want to share it but I'll share a racetrack with this man. Yeah, he's he's dangerous. Like, the, like it's not like Valentino Rossi when he said it about Mark Mar- sake of hyperbole. No, this man is legitimately dangerous on a racetrack. Uh, and, like, again, anyone who says that now can't argue against it because, again, he tried to squeeze a man's brake pedal at 150 miles an hour. Like, Fanati is, at this point, almost unhirable. And I never thought I'd say that about a bike rider, ever. But, 
like I remember Carol Haneke, who I mentioned earlier, took a dude out after a race and broke his arm, was a wild card in World Superbikes earlier this season. Mm. Um, so it goes to show you that, you know, time can heal a lot of wounds in motorsport. And Carol I, I, I don't think, I don't think that Carol Haneke instance made any anything near the level of national international publicity that this has. No, not even close. Not even not even ten percent of the of of the story that, that, that Fanati was. Like I said, this was legitimate mainstream sports news. It was a it was on the homepage of, of of Reddit at one point. It was on the Metro newspapers homepage. It was in national newspapers. It was on BBC Breakfast News in in in, in a in a prime time slot. And again, this was the same weekend that Cal Crutchlow was on the podium. Again, like I said before, bike coverage in this country is not on a mainstream level, not for anyone, not even Valentino, let alone an incident like this. Like, so for that to be front page news compared to Karanaka, it's no contest. It's it's 50 times the story that, that Hanukkah's was. And like I said, Hanukkah was able to wildcard in a world superbike race earlier this year. So... I don't want to say that Fanati's done. I have a feeling no. that time will heal wounds on this one because I think, I think he's. I, I've said it on because people have asked me about this. I'm curious, Cat. Do you think he's done enough? I said, you know what? No, I don't think he is because time heals wounds and Fanati is talented. And someone's going to think, you know what? We can get the good out of this guy. Yeah. Because it's it's, it's no different to when to when to when guys say, you know what? I can change this girl when they try and date them. It's the exact same logic where it's like, you know what? I can get the best out of this guy. I can get the best out of Fanati again because he's such a talented guy. He's a Moto3 race winner and title contender. Like, he might be too good to ignore for a desperate team at some point. And I, I wouldn't, it would not surprise me if a year or two down the road, someone took a chance on him. Like, it, it would not surprise me. He'd still only be 24 years old. And he, he's still, a, again, he, he's a multiple Grand Prix winner. There's no doubt about it. So... Yeah, I, I don't I don't want to say Fanati's done. Whether he should be or not is another debate entirely, mm. but I, I, I think somebody will take a chance on him down the road at some point. Yeah, I think he's getting towards the the, the the point now where even if he does get one more chance, it will almost certainly be his last chance. Um if he gets another in motorcycle racing. Romano Fanati did apologize. Um he did put out a statement on his own uh, personal website. Um, early this week. Now, um, bear with the rather literal translation from Italian to English, so I'll try and uh, paraphrase this as best I can. Um, but he said the following, I apologise to the whole sports world. This morning, he's speaking on Monday, uh, with a clear mind, I wish it had just been a bad dream. I think, and I think back to these moments, uh, I made a disgraceful gesture, I was not a man. A man would finish the race and then go to race direction to try and get justice for the previous incidents. I should not have reacted to provocations. The criticisms are correct and I understand the resentment towards me. I want to apologise to everyone who believed in me and all those who felt hurt by my action. As in, an image of me and of the sport has come out and everything is horrible. I'm not like that. Who knows me well knows. Uh, in my career, I've always been a good rider. Last year, I was one of the few who did not receive any penalties. I never put someone else's life in jeopardy. On the contrary, I've always maintained that there are dangerous riders on the track for riding style. It's true. Unfortunately, I have an impulsive character, but my intention was certainly not to hurt a rider, but I wanted to make him understand that what he was doing was dangerous and that I could have made some mistakes as well as he had just made to me. I do not want to justify myself. I know that my gesture was not justifiable. I just want to apologise to everyone. Now I will have time to reflect 
and clear my ideas. Um, I mean, I have to say, Dre, the first half of that I thought was very well put. The second half was disastrously put. Yeah, like the second half of that race just... The second half of that statement just backed up how stupid it was in the sense of you read that and you just go, well... I wanted to make him understand that what he was doing was dangerous. You tried to kill him. I mean, geez, like anyone with half a brain cell... Like, what you're doing crosses 14 friggin' lines. Like, holy shit. Like, if you want to make a point, you can do that to him off the bike. After Mm. the race is over, you can go to the garage and talk to him, talk to his boss. Because, let's be real here, Stefano Manzi has been horrid in Moto2 this season. He's had more crashes than anyone else in the field. He's had 21 this season. He's had 21 crashes. And he has been universally panned in Moto2 this year as a rider. That doesn't mean you squeeze his brake pedal at 140 to try and make a point. Mm. That, like, if anything, it makes you look even stupider to come out of that, to come out with that statement. It just, it just doubles down on your own incompetence and just your own lack of foresight. That, that, that you believe that is the way to settle your problems and differences. You don't do it on the track like that and put another man's life at risk. Like no. you, you, you absolutely cannot do that. And it just goes to show you, he's had time to reflect on it. He came out with that statement the following day and he still doesn't get it. And that no. is arguably even scarier than what he actually did on the track. No, there's been a, there's been a further uh, article that's, uh, that's been doing the rounds since then. I believe it's been on the independent website. Um, now, we're not going to um, quote that too much. Now, it suggests that Romano Ferrati has decided to retire. Um, now, given that those statements haven't been shared on his own website or backed up on his personal website, now I'm going to sort of treat those with a little bit of caution. Um, I'm not sure whether he genuinely has said that. And um, he was certainly less, uh, less trite in his comments than he was uh, in that statement that I've just read to you. Um, but uh, there is a suggestion that Romano Fanati um, may well just choose to retire on the back of this. Um, he has also been called to uh, the FIM headquarters um, to to answer uh, for himself. Now, there has been a, a quote during the rounds, which I saw David Emmett tweet, uh, retweet earlier today, uh, from Vito Ippolito, who is the, um, the head of the FIM, um, who simply says in an article on GP1.com, he says, the FIM will not crucify Fanati, but in the future, there will be more severity in terms of punishments. It was an important disqualification, but it could get worse. This is the new line. More black flags, as in the Marquez Rossi case um, in Argentina. Although Marquez wasn't actually black flagged, technically. He was thrown out of the points, um, which I suppose yeah. is as good as a black flag more um, the same in, thing, that, really. in that scenario. But he wasn't actually... There wasn't the actual gesture, the actual image of him being disqualified from the race. Um, but that, so that's what's happened to Fanati. Um... We wait and see now what the next move is. We, as I say, he will be summoned um, to the FIM to explain himself. Um, I think we all basically just want Romano Fanati to to become a better person. We wanted to see him um, put these issues behind him. Whether he yeah. earns the right and earns the trust of the public, of his peers on and off the track, to get another chance on track, we shall see. Um, but he has an awful lot of amends to make before then, um, if he's ever to arrive at that point. To round this segment off, um, I'm going to read you a Instagram post by Joan Mir, uh, the Moto3 world champion, uh, who raced against Fanati 
They fought mm. each other for the championship last year in, in Moto3. And again, there is a bit of literal translation here from Spanish to English. So again, bear with me. But I think this was a, was a lovely touch from Chuan Mia. He said, at 35, Romano Fanati's Instagram uh, account, the past Grand Prix of Mizano, you made an unjustifiable mistake putting the life of a partner at risk. This action is not worthy of a rider like you and of course deserved a tough punishment. Last year, you were a great rival and took me to the limit throughout the season. We had a thousand battles, but you always behaved like a great rider and athlete on the track. We agree many times on the podium and I could appreciate that you were noble not only in victory, but also in defeat. I think you're a great person. Don't give up and fight for your future as a rider. Everyone deserves a second and up to a third chance. Work to correct those impulses that sometimes betray you and play you uh, or have contributed to your bad past and return to the track like the great rider you are. We have a thousand battles to play. Juan Mia, you are a better man than any of us. And I clap my hands um, to what you just said. Juan Mia, you are a class act. Um... We that, will... that kid's 20 years old. He's 20 he's years got, old. He's um, got a more mature head than I do, and, he, and he's six years younger than me. That and, is uh, and he accompanied that with and... a photo of himself and Rano Fanati uh, having finished together on the podium last year uh, at Jerez. Um, those are the comments of Joan Mia on Instagram um, earlier this week. Um, it, it, very, very classy. It's, it's amazing after 45 minutes that we've talked about a Moto2 race, and we haven't even begun to discuss... Um, the rider that won it, um, which tells you Sorry, um, what kind of race it was. Sorry, Pecco. Um, but um, let's briefly touch on it. Um, there was very mm. little besides the Fanati incident to really pull out of this race, but let's pull a couple of things out. Um, first of all, for the sixth time this season, uh, Francesco Bagnaiadre put on a clinic. God, yeah, I mean, he is a very, very scary prospect, Francesco Bagnaia. He is a hell of a talent. And... Uh, he is becoming the Jorge Lorenzo. So if he gets the whole shot, he's won. He's already won the race. Because once he gets going and the metronome starts ticking, he is incredibly hard to beat. I mean, shout out to Neil Morrison who put his lap times up from that race. I will give you a, a quick read. See if you can spot a trend here, kids. Lap two onwards, right? 38-0, 37-9, 37-9, literally to the thousandth. A thousand quicker than the lap before. 996 to 995. 38-0, 37-9, which is his fastest lap of the race. It was a 9 38-0, 38-2, 38-3, 38-0, 38-0, 38-0, 38-2, 38-7. That's 38-7. That's when he had the wobble that was put on replay. He lost about half a second off that one. 38 38-2, 38-2, 38-0, 38-0, 38-0, 38-2, 38-2. Those laps were identical to the 1,000th. 38-3. <laughs> 38-2, and then he wind it down with a 38-8 and then a 39-9 going over the line. That is unbelievable consistency. Not even Miguel Oliveira could answer that. No, that was completely robotic, and there was nothing anybody could do about it. At the front of the field, he was completely untouchable. Nobody had an answer for him. He, like, Basically, he was forcing everybody else to ride over the limit to have a chance to keep up, and nobody could handle it. Matteo Pacini, who got... The great hole shot, they got up to second place, didn't have an answer for him. He faded as the race went on. Miguel Oliveira had inevitably come through to second in the end, and even he just did not have the pace to touch Peko. And that's been the story of Banyaya for me this season. He's not been so great on head-to-head dogfights outside of Austria. He came through on that one, and that was maybe a, 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 change, a turning point in the season. 
for him, but he's 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 not been optimal in in dogfights this year. But he he's such a brilliant front front man. If he gets to the front of the field and he gets some clear air in front of him, he's unbelievably hard to beat. Mm. Like I, I, no one can stay with him. He's got more natural race pace in him than anyone else in Moto Two. He is so good at that, and that's how he won this race, and he did it. Just he just oozed class. That mm. was just the the rider of a guy who is going to be a supreme talent in the future very soon, and yeah. a very very impressive victory. He did. And, and side note, uh, the victory that that Sky Ocean Rescue livery deserved because I thought it was a beautiful livery oh, um, beautiful. that he ran on the Sunday. Although uh, one other side note on that, um, you noticed maybe if you were eagle eyed, you'll have noticed that Romano, uh, that Francesco Bagnaia, should I say, was actually running his uh, old um, bog standard Sky BR46 liveries in the race. That was because he tried the. Sky Ocean Rescue leathers out in the morning warm-up and found that a certain part of his anatomy was getting uh, packed in too tightly and they weren't really... He was rather uncomfortable on the bike. Um, so, uh, so he ended up switching to his normal leathers because they weren't fitting in properly. Uh, and they seemed to work um, in the race as Banyaya took a brilliant victory from Miguel Oliveira. The championship is still looking very, very close between those two. Um, but we, we should mention he, he doesn't deserve to be forgotten in the midst of all that happened in this race. But, Drake, shout out to Marcel Schrotter, who's been knocking on the door for a while Yay. now, having a very good season. He's often qualified very well. Finally, his first ever rostrum. Finally. And to be fair to him, it's been coming for quite some time. He's a... He's 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 come a long he's come a long way, Marcel Schrotter, and this was his 105th Moto2 race. He's been a veteran of the series. This is his sixth season in the sport, and it's not like he's ever been terrible. He's been a, a consistent point scorer. He's been knocking around top. And he's not exactly a rider that came into Moto2 having had a great Moto3 career. No, he he's he's a, he, he he's been around since the one two five days, and he's had to scratch and yeah, claw his way to get one Grand Prix starts across all classes. Yeah, and this is his first ever win. It was like, it's like Domi Agata all over again when he had, we had to wait 149 first victory in any class. Um, and he, this is only a podium, to be fair as well. But Schrotter has genuinely been very good. This has been a big leap up for him this season on the Calex for the first time in two years. He's been knocking around the top eight pretty much all season long. This day was coming. Um, he's He's been challenging. He's had front row starts. He's had, I think... James Tozeman, she's had five front row starts this year. And so the, the pace is there with Schrotter. And he gave Miguel Oliveira a good run for second the entire race. He stuck to him like glue. Miguel could not shake him off for the life of him in the entire race. And just finished a couple of lengths behind him in the end. But by any measure, that's been coming for a while with Marcel Schrotter. And a very impressive third race. And well deserved. So congratulations to the German lad. That's been coming for a while. And I'm, I'm, I'm glad he, he, um, he was really happy about it. Because he, he deserved, he's deserved one for the way he's ridden this season. Yeah, Congratulations to him. Here's the full result then from Moto2. Pekka Banyaya, the winner, from Miguel Oliveira, second. Marcel Schrotter, third. Um, Matai Pazzini took fourth. Shout out to Juan Mir in fifth, uh, not just for his brilliance mm. on Instagram, but also for uh, picking up the Jonas Folger punishment of Mizano, um, where he got, oh, yeah. doc he got doctor spot for track limits and essentially had to pull over, get the financial times out while he waited for Matai Pazzini to come past um, <laughs> and, and take fourth place. Um, Pazzini then took fourth as a result of that because Juan Mir unfortunately overdid it and then couldn't catch him up again. Um, and finished fifth. Lorenzo Baldassari in sixth. Um, Fabio Quartararo on the speed up seventh. Brad Binder eighth. Um, for once, not finishing sixth. Well done to him, even though it was two spots lower. Uh, Jorge Navarro qualified on the second row, finished ninth. And Xavi Fierke tenth. Um, the final five points positions were handing out to Simone Corsi, uh, Remy Gardner on the Tech 3, Mistral, 
Dominic Agata on the KTM, of course, winner here last year on the road before he got thrown out in post-scrutineering. Uh, Andrea mm-hmm. Locatelli, 14th. And Jesco Raffin, who was wild carding for the stop-and-go team, um, he took the final point uh, in 15th position. Championship standings then, um, with, well, just uh, six races to go now. Uh, Aragon, Thailand, the three Asia-Pacific flyaways, and Valencia to go. Um, here's how it looks. Banyaya's extended his lead from three to eight points. 214 plays 206. Brad Bender, despite only finishing eight, has actually jumped up to third in the championship now. Um, largely yeah. down to Alex Marquez's misfortune, continuing into Mizano. Uh, Binder has 119 points. Baldessari's fourth on 116. Mia fifth on 114. Marquez is now sixth on 113. Schrutter seventh on 107. Um, so five riders from third to seventh, covered by just 12 points. Um, Chavi Fierke is 8th on 96 so he's only 11 behind Schrotter uh, and Pacini is only a point further back in uh, 9th on 95 Fabio Quartararo completes the top 10 on 93 so actually from 3rd to 10th just 26 points um, separates the uh, the 8 of them um, any one of those could end this year 3rd in the World Championship we will follow that with interest but the Championship looks if it is going to go down to the white Finally, let's get into MotoGP. Um, one championship that isn't going to go down to the wire um, the way it's going um, with Mark Marquez dominating it. We'll come on to him shortly um, because um, he made headlines not just with his race performance but also with his exploits in qualifying, which we'll cover shortly. Um, but the race we got um, was something of a Ducati benefit, really. They'd taken pole position with Jorge Lorenzo, who set the fastest ever two-wheel lap of Misano. Um, breaking his own pole position record to to take pole position on the Saturday um, ahead of Jack Miller, uh, another rider we'll touch on shortly who had a, an interesting old weekend. Um, but the race in the end went to Andrea De Vizioso, um, who took his third win of the year to draw level with uh, Lorenzo, his teammate, um, and draws Ducati level with Honda now for six wins each. Uh, in the 12 races that have gone ahead this year. Of course, this was technically the 13th round of the year because Silverstone never happened. Um, but Andrea Vizioso taking the victory, Dre. And I'd almost go as far as to say it's his greatest victory yet in, in MotoGP. It's it's a different kind of victory to the ones we're used to seeing from Dovi in that he often wins these cat-and-mouse tactical battles, as we saw a couple of times last year. Magello um, and Catalunya were, that, were those kind of wins. Silverstone, you could argue, was another... We've seen the famous dogfights with Marc Marquez um, in you know three previous occasions, twice last year and then Qatar this year. We also saw a bit of a dogfight with Lorenzo and Marquez in Bruno this year. But it's very mm. rare we see Andrea de Vizioso just go out there and dominate, go out there and essentially set a pace that no one else in the field could manage. But that was the Dovi we saw on Sunday. Yeah, like, let's not forget, Andrea de Vizioso only six pole positions in his entire 11 year top flight career he's not he's not a guy known for speed he's a thinking man's rider he out like he's no like he's i see his guys nickname him the professor he's a bit like the alan pross type in formula one or he's more of a tactical thinking man's rider and he, he wins the tactical battles he wins the cat and mouse fights that's the sort of rider Dovi is. He's very hard to beat in a one-on-one when pace is very similar. He doesn't normally go out and curb stop the field like that, which is exactly what he did. Um, yeah. 
there was there was one key moment in that race which has been mentioned i think before but he sets a 32.6 like again it's a race lap record for misano the fastest ever race lap of misano early on when he hit the front of the field passing lorenzo to do it and after that it was over like after that no one was able to stop him like like lorenzo and marquez got into their own cannon mouse fight but Dovi had enough in hand to go out, and he never looked like he was going to lose that race afterwards. He, the, like if he, if he had that in his back pocket the whole time, there was no hope for anybody. Yeah, just to um, just to give that to give a bit of context to that, the because um, we've already been giving you some lap times already. Let's just give you the race pace that was up to that point. Um, take lap one out of it because they're from a standing start. But lap two, the race leading pace was a thirty-three-six of Lorenzo. He then did a 33-6 on lap 3. Lap 4, 33-3 from Lorenzo. Lap 5, 33-4 from Lorenzo. Um, Dobby takes the lead on lap 6 when he does a 33-2. Lap 7, 33-3. Lap 8, uh, 33-4. And then it's lap 9. He goes from a 33-4 to a 32-6. That was essentially Dobby saying, see you later, chaps. What the hell was that? Where, where, where was he just keeping three quarters of a second in his trunks? Like, yeah. I, 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 don't, I don't understand that logic at all. The thing is, the next lap, he drops it back to a 33-0, at which point Lorenzo matches him on a 33-0. But the gap's already gone out to 0.8 of a second by then, and Dovi's broken the toe by then. Yeah, by that point, the toe is gone, and Dovi's in clear air. That's exactly what he... See, uh, he basically pulled out half a second on that lap, and then that was it. Basically, at that point then, like, the, 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 like the, the war was over at that point in time. That was a... That, that, that was a sniper shot to the back of Lorenzo's helmet, unfortunately. That was the end of that fight altogether. Like, that was a stonking lap from Dovi. To, uh, Dovi just, just pulled out a qualifying lap all of a sudden out of nowhere. Like, that would be ridiculous. And like I said, that the race was effectively done after that one. Lorenzo didn't... Lorenzo only had hundreds of a second on Dovi at best and was losing two or three temps at worst per lap. And Lorenzo didn't have an answer for that. I don't think anybody else dipped into the 32s that entire race. It was like that was it, basically. Dovi just had that in his back locker. And once he was in an open air, you're not beating Andre Davizioso like that in open air. He's too good, quite frankly. And yeah, the race was over and it ended up being the fight for second, which ended up taking all the headlines. Mm. Uh, quickly before we move on to that battle for second I mean Adredovic also now has moved into second in the championship so he's got a real chance albeit in very different circumstances he's got a real chance of finishing runner-up in the championship to Mark Marquez two years running um, which would be which would be a great achievement um, especially when we consider where Davizio was pre 2017 he is in many ways although he's had a little less consistency this year he is in a way backing up what he did in 2017 mm-hmm. showing that he is still at that level um, now, Jorge Lorenzo, as has been well documented, is leaving Ducati next season to go to Honda to join Mar- Marquez. Um, Davizioso is staying put, where he's joined by Danilo Petrucci. Now, two-part question. Uh, first of all, is it beyond any doubt now that Ducati have the best all-round motorcycle in MotoGP today? Um, and secondly, with that in mind, if the answer is yes, is Andrea Davizioso suddenly sitting very pretty for 2019? I think the answer for both those questions is yes. Um, <laughs> because, um, again, as I said before, he's, he's suddenly now sitting on potentially the best bike in the field for next year with his biggest problem, Jorge Lorenzo, joining his main rival's team. Yeah, um, he's going to have to get over the Marquez problem at some point. Mm. But yes, I think but you're it's right. it's easier to get over that problem if you've got a better bike than him. 
Yeah, and I think there's no doubt about it. Like, if there was any doubt before, it's gone. Ducati has the number one bike in the field. They locked out the front row. Marquez had to go beyond the limit in quarterfinal to even put it into They've fifth won place. every race since the summer break, and they were one and two on the grid for the race that didn't happen. Yes, exactly. That's a very good point. I every round since the break. And that's and in other words, that is one, two, three races since the break. And again, they were sitting one and two for the race that did not happen at Silverstone, a track that tends to lean towards them anyway. So, yeah, the way it stands right now, Ducati, for me, clearly have the number one bike in the field and two heavy hitters in Davizioso and Lorenzo. Like, Marquez is probably going to leak a few points here and there between now and and the end of the season. But for him, that's absolutely fine. Second was, if anything, a bonus for him this week because Lorenzo hit the decks. So not only has he finished his second, he's eliminated a, a contender in Lorenzo with, with, with his silly mistake at the end of that race, which we'll get to in a minute. Yeah, I mean, how, but, how, how costly do those Davizioso crashes of Jerez and Le Mans in Catalonia look now? Um, because give him, yeah. even cut yeah. that championship lead in half that Marquez has and say it's around the 30-point mark, with the bike Dovi has at the moment, you could see that getting chased down. Yeah, if it was, if it was a thirty, if it was a thirty to forty point lead, Dovi would still have half a chance at this championship. And and the problem is he's left it too late because yeah. again, those three crashes he had in Catalonia, in Jerez, and at Le Mans, not entirely all his fault, even though the latter two definitely were. That ended the championship fight, as far as I was concerned, for Dovi. Like, he's, he left himself too much to do. And the thing about Marquez is, he's only finished off the podium twice this season. And those, those were the one race he crashed and the one race he lost his head. Every other race, he's been in the top three. Marquez is the best bike rider on the planet. And he's doing it on a Honda that is second best right now. I don't care what anyone says to me. That Honda is not a consistent frontier runner right now. It's playing second fiddle to the GP18. Let's not forget, Jack Miller qualified second on the grid with a 31.9 yeah. on last year's bike. <laughs> like, hello? <laughs> like, I think it's obvious to me. Ducati is the number one bike in the field, and all of a sudden, the Vizioso might be entering 2019 as title favorite because the Ducati is the bike to be on right now. It is the, it's the new Yamaha. It's the great all-rounder. It's good everywhere now, basically. Um, the only blessing for Marquez is that he's going to one of his best rounds next to Aragon, a track he tends to win at now. But even so, last year, that was one of the real good... That was the, one of the first real good Lorenzo races of 2017. Yeah, when he was... Ducati with there, um, Sam the Alarm Bells. Um, yeah. Because they clearly have a, a dominant package now um, at the mm -hmm. moment. Um, Davizioso trails Mark Marquez, by the way, in the championship by 67 points. Um, with well six races to go, so he's he, he needs snookers to to chase that down, or he needs yeah, a couple of Mark Marquez crashes um, to pull that back. Um, so he's really looking at next year in terms of putting a real championship challenge together. Um, as we mentioned, Jorge Lorenzo is going, well, he's departing Ducati to join Honda next year, as has been well documented, to partner Mark Marquez. Mm. Now we saw a battle between the two on track last weekend at Mazzano while fighting over second, uh, and Mark Marquez. Again, Drake, doing a brilliant job, even on a day when conditions and you know characteristics of the track and his bike don't necessarily favour him, still does a great job of maximising the points. And he forced Jorge Lorenzo into the kind of error that he very rarely makes. 
Exactly. That was an outstanding performance from Marquez. Like, again, people are not going to read too much into that second place, but I like to remind people, this is a track that Marquez has only won, a, only won around once before last year, and that was a wet race at Masana, which always changes the dynamic. Uh, well, he I, I won the mad cat flag to flag, didn't he, as well, in 15? Yes, and so, yeah, yeah, on that one as well, because, yeah, 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 Mar was stupid. Not for the <laughs> yeah. first time when it comes to the flag to flag race. But, yeah, he, he doesn't tend to go well here. He needs like he needs outside interference or mitigating circumstances to win round here. He tends to struggle a bit round here. It doesn't suit the Honda at all. Pedrosa only really won it, you know, last year more on a on, more on tire strategy than anything else. Um, he wasn't really looking like he was going to win a race that weekend at all. But that's the nature of of Bassano for you. He tends to struggle round here. He's crashed here before in the race itself as well. He doesn't go well here, and yeah, you know, he qualified. You know, in, in from fifth on the grid, which is not ideal for Marquez, but got a brilliant start, got himself in the mix of the Foster Ducatis right from the get-go, and he forced Lorenzo into making a critical mistake. Um, and that's very uncommon for Lorenzo at this point. Lorenzo, I genuinely thought he'd gotten over these jitters before, but that was another case where Lorenzo's been punched in the nose by Marquez one too many times, and he's made a mistake, and he's gone down. And as a result, like, Lorenzo now 91 points. Like, effectively, Lorenzo is out of the title race. Like, so he's now basically eliminated contender and probably got a bonus four points for his trouble, and he's taken 20 out of Misano. And it's very similar to last year. Even though Dovi won six rounds last year, it didn't matter very much because Marquez was always finishing second. So even if Dovi was winning, he was only taking five points out of him. And, and that, that's the critical point. Marquez didn't have bad rounds last year. Not really. Not enough to make to upset the title balance enough. Dovi was winning all those races, but who was finishing right behind him? Mark Marquez. And he was limiting the damage. He was, you know, he was basically winning. He was basically forcing. It's like, Dovi, you're going to have to win to take any sort of damage out of this title race. Mark's like, as Adam Johnson, who's listening to this show right now, will attest, as, as a championship runner, you win the titles on your bad days a lot more than you do on your good ones. And Marquez doesn't have a bad day very often anymore. Mm. And as Cam just the- said, Mark's worst days are still too good. Um, yeah. At the moment, Second, his worst days again. are better than most people's best days. Um, but mm. should we briefly, on a side note, talk about how he qualified fifth? Um, because yes, because um, another extraordinary display from Mar- Marquez, just showing what an all-round entertainer he is at the moment. Um, uh, <laughs> Crash that again. He very nearly saved the guys. Are an absolute freak. Um, he, sure. At turn fifteen, uh, you know, if he hadn't hit gravel, he might have saved it. Um, but he goes down um, with about four and a half minutes to go of Q two, and he then absolutely pegs it full full pelt back to his his garage. He <laughs> jumps on the back of a of a scooter, obviously, that takes him um, over the track and back towards the paddock. He then runs full speed through the paddock, down into the back of the truck, leaps over the step into his garage, straight through his garage, jumps straight on his bike and goes straight back out on track again. I believe it was timed at 133 seconds between him getting up off the canvas after his crash and going back onto the track. It wasn't even like a 30-second sort of let's collect your thoughts, Mark. It was straight on the bike and out he went again. I mean, imagine his heart rate at that point. (laughs) That was a joke, Keith. You amazing. What what, what is it? 120. (laughs) 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 That was hilarious. I mean, I've got a call out here. Kevin, I know you're listening to this show, and you were like, oh, look, MotoGP's PR team's working overdraft to, to, to nullify a mistake. 
Why do you not like fun? Yeah. Why do you not? Why do you not like fun things? <laughs> okay, this was hilarious to watch in real time. Like Mark Marquez is the most entertaining thing to happen to bike races since Valentino fought. You know what? Let's get the brooms out to celebrate this victory. Yeah. Like, like Marquez is a brilliant entertainer. Yes, okay, he was not great in qualifying, and it and, and yeah, it wasn't ideal that he crashed. But it's obvious his bike did not suit this track. Okay, yeah. and, it, and it just shows the mindset of the guy as well. Not just the fact that he never knows what he's beaten, um, which is a sign of a great champion. But it's also the sort of this guy just doesn't see crashes as in any way a, a crisis, does he? He just you know by the time he's already lost the front and hit the deck, he's already he's immediately thinking right. Four and a half minutes to go. I need to get back to my garage as soon as possible because I've got to try and get pole position. Uh, it, run. Yeah, just run. Uh, run as fast as your legs will carry you. Um, and he was probably going around there faster than Christoph Ponson was still going. Um, so, so sorry, Christoph. The wild card was trying his best, but he was he was a mobile chicken. Um, but um, but yeah, a great piece of, of of sort of a showcase of Matt Marquez of what he's all about. And yet, still, you idiots in Italy still booed him. Shame on you. Um, How can you boo this man? Um, as he got on the po- as he got on the podium. Um, but yeah, Matt Marquez finished second. Cal Crutchlow third. Alex Rins fourth. We're tight for time, but those are two performances, Dre, that deserve a mention. Two great performances. Crutchlow Absolutely. back on the podium, I believe, for the first time since he won in Argentina, um, which sounds ridiculous to say. Um, but Alex Rins, um, a result that for much of the weekend, we didn't really, we struggled to see that one coming. Yeah, like, geez, like both Crutchlow and Rins. Rins came completely out of nowhere. Crutchlow crashed in qualifying, didn't look particularly strong at any point, but once again just rode his race, didn't make mistakes. His pace was good, and he picked up the best possible result and a bonus of a podium due to Lorenzo's fall. That's all you can really ask of Crutchlow at this point. He's not a Marquez. He's not a Dovi. He's not a Lorenzo. They're all on either better machinery or just naturally have a bit more talent than him, but Crutchlow is getting the maximum out of the bike. He's ridden very well lately, to be fair. Just the one Saxon ring crash, but ever since the break, has been in the top five for all three races since the break we've had. And you go, he's, he's now back on top of the independent championship. He's now nine points ahead of Johan Zarco, who was only in 10th, and then Petrucci, who was down in 11th um, after this race. So yeah, Crutchlow is now back as top independent in the cha- in, in, in that independent championship, if you want to call it maybe MotoGP 1.5, like the F1 fans are doing at the moment. Hmm. If you want to call it that, feel free. But uh, yeah, a, a solid result. And again, amazing. It's his first podium since that win in Argentina, believe it or not. But uh, yeah, a very solid day at the office from Carl Crutch, though, there. He'll take that third place every time. And again, Alex Rins as well. Another fantastic performance from him. Again, out of nowhere. Qualified 10th. Qualified 10th, just came through the field, had great pace, was able to keep control of the bike. This time. He's, 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 had a, he's had an unfortunate knack at some points in the season where he's just he's, he's overridden the bike and he's made a mistake and he's gone down. He kept his head screwed on. He'd overtaken you know, both Valentino Rossi and Maverick Vinales on track. The Suzuki's come through for him quite nicely here. And again, he's outclassed his teammate, and Andre Iannone, who was only down in eighth, and Rins, once again, is showing why he's got the talent to lead this team next year, because another great performance from Alex Rins and that Suzuki. I hope they can find a little bit more so he's up there a bit more frequently, 
next year on that bike. I mean, the concessions uh, is, is at risk of being taken away if he's a little bit too good. Mm. But uh, but by any case, like they're doing a great job. Their aim is to get rid of said concessions. They want to be on the level playing field compared to everybody else, and they want to prove themselves. And Rins is showing he can be the rider to do it. Great performance. Yeah, brilliant performance. And um, and yeah, as Joe mentioned, it's not like he had the benefit of a lofty group position. He had to. You know, pick his way through the field early on to finish fourth. Um, Movistar Yamaha only finished fifth and seventh, and we've, we've got very little to add to their races, which is as damning indictment of their performance at the moment as anything else, yeah. uh, where they're not even really going to discuss them. Um, but um, at, at Valentino Rossi's home round, and at a circuit where Yamaha enjoyed so much success over the last few years, they were reduced to bit part players. Um, with Vinales fifth, Danny Pedroza, 6th. That's as good as he's been for a while. Uh, and Valentino Rossi, 7th. The only line, the only positive we can really say about their weekend was that Valentino, we loved that Back to the Future crash helmet. It was brilliant. Um, but that's about it um, that we can uh, devote to your weekend. Here's how the race finished then. Davizioso, the winner from Marquez and Crutchlow. Alex Rins, 4th. Maverick Vinales, 5th. Danny Pedroza, 6th. Then came Rossi, 7th. Uh, Andre Iannone on the second of Suzuki's eighth, but World Superbike bound Alvaro Bautista ninth, ahead of Joan Zarco tenth. Danilo Petrucci uh, only eleventh at the circuit where he nearly won last year. Uh, Franco Bobadelli, who had one of his best weekends of the season, he finished twelfth, but he did show well throughout practice and qualifying. Uh, Takaki Nakagami thirteenth, Alicia Spargo fourteenth, and our favourite policeman Michele Pirro. Um, who was last seen being sent into orbit by his Ducati at the first quarter at Mugello earlier this year, um, returned to action this weekend and got a point in 15th. Uh, so well done to him. Just ahead of Bradley Smith, who uh, uh, we'll touch on in a moment because he had news to announce last weekend. Um, didn't have much to do in the Grand Prix until Jorge Lorenzo crashed at the end and then Bradley Smith enjoyed a last lap battle with him, uh, which he won uh, for 16th. Uh, with Jorge Lorenzo down in 17th in the end. 23 finishes, the last of which was Christophe Ponson, the aforementioned, who was a lap down. Uh, in the end, uh, Mark Marquez leads the championship with six races to go by 67 points for Andrea Davizioso. He has taken second from Valentino Rossi. Uh, Rossi is three points behind his compatriot Davizioso. Uh, Jorge Lorenzo drops to fourth. He's now on 130 points, so he's 91 off the lead. And 24, actually, behind his teammate in second. Uh, Maverick Vinales is fifth on 124. Cal Crutchlow is up to sixth on 119. Joan Zarco and Danilo Petrucci are tied for 7th and 8th on 110, uh, with Andrea Iannone 9th on 92. Uh, and spare a thought for Danny Pedroza, who finished up in 6th as good as he's been for a while, yet he still managed to drop a place in the championship, uh, because Alex Rins with 4th jumps ahead of him into the top 10. Uh, he has 79 points. Uh, and quickly, Moto3, um, before we bring this first of two shows for the week to a close. Um, and as I mentioned at the top of the show, shout out to uh, the race winner in this one for ensuring at least one guy named Lorenzo went home happy. Um, it was Lorenzo hey. Porta, um, to give him his, uh, his name. Um, again, it was one of those three where it was a win that at the start of the weekend, none of us would have probably seen coming. But the way the race panned out, watching that race unfold, he deserved every bit of it, didn't he? Absolutely. He belonged up there. He controlled probably any of the other frontrunners who were in that group, including a certain championship leader who did not see the checkered flag, which we'll get to in a minute. But uh, Lorenzo Dallaporta looked like he belonged again. And this is not the first time it's happened for him this season. I remember in Austria, he set some scintillating laps to get up to that leading group. And he, he, sadly, Bastini sort of took over at that point at the end of that race. We, we but, forget, Dallaporta like, was on the podium for the first race of the year. 
yeah, he won. He won that enormous group fight when you know we, we obviously know that you know that Martin and Canet had their own fight for the win between the two of them. But the winner of that enormous third group was Lorenzo Dalla Porta, and he's very quietly gone about his business through most of the season. Had a few good results here and there, but this is his first Grand Prix victory, and boy, did they celebrate like it! I mean, he deserved. He because he totally deserved it. He yeah. he was in that leading group the whole way through, rode very well, and he made the key moves when he needed to, when he needed to make them. And held off held off Martin at the end to to take you know, his his first victory in Grand Prix motorcycle race and a brilliant win for Lorenzo Dalla Porta. Very very well ridden indeed. Mm. Uh, a superb win for him. He's the seventh different winner uh, of this Moto Three season, um, and there are still six races to go. So we could end up in double figures for race winners yet uh, before the end of this season. How that's how unpredictable and crazy Moto Three has been at times um, this year. Um, but it just goes to show that sometimes with riders. Um, sometimes they don't always click straight away, um, you know, and yet sometimes talent takes a while to, to be unleashed in a rider. I mean, Dalla Porta, the 2016 Junior World Champion, let's not forget, he succeeded mm. Fabio Quartararo um, as the Junior World Champion. Now, of course, he didn't receive anywhere near the fanfare um, that Quartararo received after winning that championship, but Dalla Porta did win that. And, and, mm-hmm. and you just need to see the riders that have come from that championship, even as recently as this year, and look at the likes of Foggia uh, and Messia, uh, people like that that have arrived in this championship this year and how good they are. Um, you do not win that junior world championship unless you are a phenomenal young talent. Um, uh, and Dalla Porta exactly. certainly is one, and he's now starting to to deliver on that talent um, with his first win. Uh, as Dre mentioned, there was a lot going on um, in that race involving the championship contenders, but uh, the first big flashpoint of the race actually came uh, on lap two the end of lap two and you could argue this involved championship contenders as well but it, i think it finally um, was the death knell in any kind of championship hopes for the likes of canet and bastianini um who mm. were both caught up in this incident um jean messiedre uh, kind of triggered it with that high side exiting the final corner and all hell let loose behind him yeah he spun up he spun up the uh the the rear tires on the final corner he high sides the bike and then it's like the world's ugliest looking game of Skittles. Thankfully, everybody was okay, so I can't make this joke. Mm. But um, yeah, five riders you know, involved. Five riders down on the home straight, and thinking, "Oh god, they're gonna have to red flag this." Does that look nasty? Um, it was a, it was a very, very ugly crash on that one. Thankfully, everybody involved okay, but uh, it, it, it was, it was brutal to say that. least. I mean, Masia, Aaron Canet, Ahimi Suzaki, Enea Bastianini. And Nicolo Bulaga all in that in that lap two incident. Like Bulaga literally is having zero luck this year. No, none, none whatsoever. Like, like just 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 put the whole season in rice. It's over. Like for like like his, yeah, his season get, is get just him into two already. Yeah, just 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 move him on already because you know it's not happening for Bulaga. Just get him out of this class already. It's just not going to work out for him this year, <laughs> poor fella. But uh, yeah, an, an awful accident there. Um, just uh, that is the worst case scenario for a Moto Three race, and to have an incident like that where you just you just get bodies collected like that and bikes everywhere, and you know no one can see where they're going. It's very very dangerous. Like I said, thankfully everybody involved. Okay, I think Sasaki had the worst of it with, with, yeah, a, he did. with a with a concussion, but uh, thankfully nothing deeper than that also on a side note real quick very glad that they pulled Philip Hotel from the weekend after FP3 after even when he was
was diagnosed with a concussion. I'm glad MotoGP are pointing that out because I mentioned it last year when they did it Petrucci, and it seemed that, like they missed one. So yeah, it was a I'm bit of a glad. warning sign when uh, his mechanic mm. was asking him about the crash uh, after quali- uh, during qualifying, and his answer was, "I don't remember it." Um, what crash? Yeah, exactly. That was he didn't mm. remember anything about it, which instantly was a big red flag. It's like, no, you're not racing, son. Um, you've had enough for one weekend. Um, but yeah, good to see that MotoGP were taking that one um, seriously. That big exactly. pilot we mentioned at the end of that two kind of set the scene for the race, really, because it caused a big split in the main field um, with the obviously five riders taken out of the middle of it and everyone else behind had to slow down to avoid it. The five mm-hmm. riders ahead of that split were essentially the leading group in the end. Um, with mm-hmm. Marco Bezzecchi, uh, the two Grassini Hondas of Jorge Martin and Fabio Di Gian Antonio. Um, Gabby Rodrigo had qualified up the front. Um, I believe he qualified second on the grid um, behind, well, you know who was on pole. He's always on pole. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, He's 17th, man. Exactly. Um, so, yeah, in the end, that was that was your leading uh, quintet up the front. Uh, the two Grassini boys, Rodrigo, um, Bezecchi and the eventual winner, Dorenzo Della Porta. Um, and uh, Marco Bezecchi was leading it um, halfway around the penultimate lap, where he then lost the rear um, going through turn 15, the same corner Mark Marquez had crashed out of in qualifying. Um, and it's. I don't know whether this is just pressure, Dre. I don't know whether this is Bezecchi suddenly getting to a stage where he realizes that this championship might be on for him at a point where he probably wasn't expecting at the start of the season, but. The guy who we were speaking about so much earlier in the season as the guy who was so consistent has now made two key errors in the last few races because he crashed out on a very late stage of the race at Assen and he's now done it again Mm -hmm. here and thrown 25 points away. Yep, he crashed out on the penultimate lap at Assen um, and it was right right in the clutch. Bezeki made a mistake and done it again here and... Yeah, that was a very, very ugly, like probably a twenty-five point swing in that sense, where he was leading the race when he hit when he hit the deck like that, uh, with one lap to go, um, and he would have been plus five on Martin if he if he had come over the line in second, best case scenario. So, at, uh, worst case scenario, he's plus five. Now he's minus twenty because Martin was second in the end, and it could have easily been a win on another day, knowing how Martin can ride in this class. So. If anything, you got a bit of a reprieve. He saved five points with Martin not winning the damn thing. Um, but Bezeki's made another critical mistake, and he's now eight points behind Martin in the title fight, where he could have been up, you know, by 15, 17 points or something along those lines. And he could have had almost a race in hand going into Aragon, which is you know, which, which Martin's going to be well up to win a home round. Of course he is. Um, so, yeah, critical time for Bezeki and a very, very bad time to make an error. And you know what? We we we've complimented him before about being you know being Mr. Consistency and the guy who, you know, rides well and keeps a level head on his shoulders. That was another silly mistake, and he can't afford too many of those, especially against a guy who on raw pace alone might be the fastest guy we've ever seen in Moto 3. Mm, it's not a good mix. And he's it's gonna tell us a lot now about Bezeki, how he fights back from this, because as Gavin Emmett pointed out on commentary, I mean Bezeki could pretty much, you know, stay at home for the weekend and walk to work. Uh, he was mm-hmm. so close to Bizarro. So to lose the win around his home track, and we mean home track, he lives right near the circuit, uh, is going gonna to sting badly for him to lose that one in that fashion. So uh, we'll see how he responds to this. Um, but as I mentioned, he's now eight points behind uh, Martin. We'll give you the full championship rundown in a moment. Um, I do still get the feeling that this championship is going down to the way. It's just been that kind of season um, in mm-hmm. Moto3. Um, but Bezeki will need to respond. Um, 
here's how the race finished. Lorenzo Delaporte Porta the winner by 58 thousandths of a second from Jorge Martin, who did appear to have his own Alex Rins moment uh, at the end of the race at Mizano, where he got the wrong finish line, but it wasn't in the end going to change his finishing position anyway, because he was uh, behind um, Delaporta when he got to the start line, which he thought was the finish line. Um, in the end, he still finished second anyway from Dijan Antonio in third. Um, Rodrigo took fourth. Um, and with the absence of Pazeki, those were the four remaining riders in that leading group. The second group was won by Jakob Kornfile, teammate to Pazeki, of course, with Albert Arenas uh, in sixth, the uh, Le Mans winner, of course, Denis Foggia seventh, Darren Binder eighth, Andrea Migno ninth, and Nicolo Antonelli for the very, very local SIC 58 Squadra Course team. Of course, the circuit is named after the late great Marcus and Magelli. Uh, Nicolo Antonelli got a top 10 for them uh, in the end. Um, Tony Arbolino 11th for the Marinelli Snipers team, who've never had so much press as they've had this weekend. Um, Adam Norodin in 12th, Kate Totoba 13th, Vicente Perez took his first ever points in 14th, and Kazuki Masaki. Um, who um, was last year's Rebel Rookish Champion. He's no longer the reigning Rebel Rookish Champion, so I'll tell you in a second. Um, he took the final point in 15th position. Championship standings then. Um, Jorge Martin, the winner, uh, or the championship leader, should I say, eight points clear of Pazeki. Fabio Di Gian Antonio just about clinging on to contention. He's 29 off the lead. Um, with six to go. Aaron Cannett is a further 19 back, so he could probably forget about it. He's 48 off the lead, and he still hasn't won a race yet this year. Um, and Air Bastini is a point worse off in fifth. Gabriel Rodrigo is sixth. Confile seventh. Dalla Porta is still eighth, but he's now up to 88 points um, overall, with Andrea Migno and Marcos Ramirez tied for ninth and tenth on 67 points each. Next round um, of all three classes, Moto GP, Moto 2, and Moto 3, um, comes next weekend um, as we're speaking to you and that is of course at Motorland Aragon now very briefly before we go um, because we've uh, not just got uh, the rest of this show to finish but we've got another podcast to record and it's uh, 5 to 1am um, here, uh, here in the UK First of all, shout out to all of you still listening on Patreon. I don't know not all of you are based in the UK, but you guys are mad and you're brilliant. Uh, so thank you for still listening. Go um, to bed for fuck's go sake. To bed. <laughs> um, but, uh, but we did have a championship decided last weekend. Um, I did mention, actually, uh, a second ago that um, Kazuki Masaki is no longer the reigning Red Bull Rookish champion because that honour goes to Chan Onsu, the Turkish youngster. Yay. Um, who won the only race to take place at Mizano last weekend uh, and now has an unassailable 79-point lead in the championship with two races to go over his twin brother, Dennis Onchu. Um, the two Turkish twins who are first and second in the championship. So congratulations to Chan Onsu, the 2018 Red Bull Rookies champion. That means, um, if you've been following your rule changes this year, that it, the same way that the uh, Junior World Championship winner gets a free pass onto the Grand Prix grid, even if they're too young, Chan Onsu now is allowed to race in the Moto3 World Championship next season if a team decides to employ him. Um, which, um, given that he rides uh, in the uh, CEV for Red Bull KTM IO, is highly likely. Mm. Uh, <laughs> so, so we may well see uh, another of the Keenan Safoglu protégés, Channel Chu, um, of Turkey, on the Grand Prix grid next season. So congratulations to him. Uh, he is the 2018 Red Bull Rookies Champion. He took the win in Mazzano last weekend ahead of the Czech rider, Philip Salak, um, who took second. That's a result that moves him tied to second uh, in the championship. Third place went to the Spaniard, Adrian Carrasco. Um, not like there aren't enough thick, fast Spaniards around the world at the moment. Uh, Ryuti Yamanaka, the Japanese rider, taking fourth ahead of Xavier Artigas, 
Um, another Spaniard taking sixth, uh, taking fifth, sorry, ahead of his compatriot, Carlos Tate. Um, seventh in the race in the end went to the Brazilian, although he's got a very Japanese sounding name, Makon Kawakami. Um, and Dennis Onshu, who of course lost any hope of uh, staying in championship contention, he finished down in eighth. Red Bull rookies, they also go to Aragon next weekend for a double header. That is the final round of their championship. Uh, now, at Aragon next weekend, uh, finally, we will see the uh, announcements of the rider lineup for the inaugural Moto E World Cup. Um, the uh, new class that's launching next season. Um, and at Mizano last weekend, we saw the calendar announced um, for the first ever uh, Moto E season. So let's just quickly run you through it. Um, as it was announced last weekend, five races next season. Um, now they're going to, we'll give you the format for them in a second. Hereth will be the first of them on May the 5th, then Le Mans on May the 19th, Saxon on July the 7th, Austria on August the 11th, and Mizano on September the 15th. The races. Um, uh, which uh, will we'll give. In fact, I'll give you the test dates first. November twenty third to twenty fifth. That's at Hereth at the end of this season. March thirteenth to fifteenth, which will be at Hereth earlier uh, in twenty nineteen. They will accompany um, the Moto two and Moto three test there. And then April twenty third to twenty fifth, twenty nineteen, which will be a uh, Moto E alone um, test that takes place um, earlier next year. The races. I was telling you a moment ago. The races will look like this. Um, they will be. Um, 10 lap between 7 and 10 laps depending on circuit length um, this is basically to ensure that we don't have any Formula E style um, bike swaps mid-race um, it's essentially to ensure that it will be a, uh, it'll be a one-off continuous race uh, to give you the full press release Moto E will be intense high adrenaline races that will ensure the power from the bike will remain constant from the first lap to the last so they're also trying to keen to involve anyone having to power save during races as well um, sprint races so sprint races 7 to 10 laps um, around Jerez, Le Mans, Saxon Austria, and Misano. Now, we're going to get the full rider lineup, as I mentioned, next weekend at Aragon, but we seem to know one rider who's going to be part of it because he didn't deny it when it was asked of him. Um, now, Bradley Smith, who's been uh, announced as uh, Aprilia's test rider for next season, which will involve a number of wildcard appearances with the Aprilia team. He's also apparently going to dovetail this with some rides in Moto E because, of course, the Grassini team that runs Aprilia... Um, along with all the other independent teams in MotoGP, are running a Moto E team um, next season. Now, we've been wondering for a while, Dre, what kind of level of riders uh, we're going to be having in Moto E. Now, the early impressions, just from Bradley Smith alone, that's a high-quality lineup. Yeah, geez. I mean, I'm, I'm excited. I'm genuinely very excited and very curious to see how this turns out and see what the riders are um and see what the rosters are going to be how it all shakes out like that i mean again it looks like they're going for the sprint race feel as a support class race they're going to try and obviously keep it short they've got mm. a main event to get to on a sunday morning so that totally makes sense for them to run a short you know seven or ten laps suggests to me something like a 15 to 20 minute race um which is fine um again i'm excited to see how these bikes turn out i've seen them in person they they are genuinely quite nippy so that will be interesting especially with the instantaneous talk that comes off these things and yeah if if, if that's the backbone of your series of bradley smith who is a you know a, a perennial you know moto gp name a, a good guy that's been, has been you know in the t the upper tier of the championship in the past he's a very good bike rider and yeah, if, if that's your headline name, then that's a good place to start for sure. I'm, again, I'm very curious to see 
who who else will be riding these bikes when when it's revealed next week at Aragon. But uh, if Bradley Smith's the best way to go, then that's not a bad style at all. Yeah, I'm genuinely pleased. I mean, we've we've both seen, haven't we, on social media and indeed on TV, a, a number of people have been lining up to pan this Motor E Cup. Um, purely, I think, because they mm-hmm. just don't like the concept of electric motorcycles. Um, Silly. Which is, again, a, very, a bit of an antiquated view. But I, I, I'm very open-minded on this. I'm interested to see how it goes. And I'm genuinely pleased that... I mean, Bradley Smith's a very intelligent guy anyway, so I wouldn't expect him to subscribe to that view. Um, but I'm genuinely pleased that a rider of Bradley Smith's distinction and you know known ability is prepared to take a chance on this series, is prepared to give it a go. Um, and, and Bradley Smith will no doubt... I mean, he's, he's got an opportunity next year with Aprilia with a number of wild cards. Um which mm-hmm. presumably we, I think we can now know which um, of sort of five of the races which he won't be wildcard in next season, um, which will be the five on the Moto E calendar. Um, but it, it, it's, I think he sees this as well. There's not only a chance to, you know, boost his CV and give himself a chance of getting back onto a full-time grid in, 20, yeah, in 2020, but in 2019, I think it would be, I think any rider, obviously any rider who's not in MotoGP already, which sees that as the pinnacle, that would be the kind of thing that I think any rider would want on their CV to to be able to tell people that they were the inaugural Moto E champion. Because whatever anyone likes to think, this is the way motor motoring in general, the motor industry is going, and Moto E is a class that we're gonna have to get used to. Absolutely, like there's no ifs or buts about it. It's not a fan. This is this is not tomorrow's world from 1985. This this is becoming a very real thing. Like like. I reckon in the next 15, 20 years, like like many countries have already vowed that petrol and gasoline engines will be out by 2030. I think France have already committed to that, and I know a couple of others as well. They're going to get rid of the combustion engine by 2030. Whether you want to like it or not is irrelevant. It is the future. It is a fact. That supercar on your poster, chances are it's, it's hybrid-powered now. And if it's a LaFerrari, a P1, or a Porsche 918, like whatever, no matter which way you slice it, electricity is the future. And more and more countries are now catering towards that way of thinking. If you watched the Grand Tour Season 2 with the Rimac concept in there in Switzerland, again, Switzerland are already going that way as well. We could go into electric developments for the next half hour. I'm going to spare you the trouble. It's one in the morning, for God's sake. But <laughs> no, which, no matter which way you slice it, though, this is the future, and there's no avoiding it this point it's a fact it's going to be the future more motorsport is embracing said future formula e is expanding into the fact it's going to have a support to support series you know this year with robo race on electric power and obviously the ipace trophy as well and whatnot so this is the future there's no getting around it it's going to be a thing and there's no reason why mo- why my two wheels can't embrace that too with the technology they've got going forward and the general theme of this with people riding this bike is that they're very impressed by the tech and it's only going to get better hmm. as years and more development goes into it so let's, why not just embrace it and even if you don't it's a 20 minute race at nine in the morning before moto three starts for god's sake get over yourselves yeah and uh yeah so we look forward to it on that on that vein we look forward to uh robo gp uh coming out as a, as a new class in Grand Prix motorcycle racing further down the line uh but yeah more more moto e no doubt in the in the in future shows obviously next week we'll uh we'll reveal to you if you don't see it before the time you listen to us on uh on episode 79, um, we'll reveal to you the full rider lineup. I'm certainly looking forward to seeing what kind of riders, um, alongside Bradley Smith, uh, if indeed he is confirmed, uh, will be taking part in the inaugural Moto E uh, World Cup. 
um, for 2019. And um, that brings us to the end then of uh, this first two uh, bike lives for the week. Uh, we'll be back if you're listening live on Patreon. We'll be back in about 30 seconds. Um, but if you're um, <laughs> downloading these podcasts like everyone else, uh, we'll be back tomorrow for uh, the second of two podcasts this week, where you will be able to listen to myself and Dre reviewing the Silverstone BSB action and the return to bike live of the voice of World Superbikes, Greg Haynes, um, as he gives us an update on uh, how the season's going. And looking ahead to the final four rounds of the World Superbike Championship, which starts this weekend at Portimao. Um, we look forward to you tuning in for that. My thanks to Andre Harrison for joining me. Um, depending on where you're listening, we will see you tomorrow or we'll see you in about five seconds. See you shortly.